0: The apartments that I live in were built in the 70s. I have met a woman who's lived in these apartments on and off since the 80s. I mention her because she has something to do with this story as well. I have lived in the complex for five years now, first in a one bedroom and then for the last four years in a two bedroom. I never expected anything weird or creepy in the one bedroom unit. None of this started happening until I moved into this unit. The first things that began happening happened to my daughter, who was around five months old at the time. She would often stare at spots in the room randomly. We would be playing with her or talking to her, and she would stop abruptly and just stare. These stares developed into her smiling at whatever or whoever she was looking at and waving her hands around. She then began to say the name George. And as her verbal skills developed, even began talking to George. We don't know anyone by that name. Not long after she began doing this, I gave birth to my son. For the record, he as well eventually started talking to George. I'm a stay-at-home mum and my husband works nights, so I often wait until my kids are sleeping and my husband goes to work until I can have a shower and a snack. Everything was normal this day, but my son hadn't been feeling well and had thrown up on me, so I found the need to shower that night particularly important. I had just lathered my hair with shampoo when I heard someone pounding on the bathroom door and a male voice that didn't sound like my husband frantically telling me to check on your boy, along with getting a crazy, scary urge to see both of my kids and make sure they were okay. I had never ran to my kids' room so fast. I didn't even bother to turn the shower off. I got into the room, and I could hear my infant son choking. He had spit up in his sleep and started to choke on it. I was able to get the spit up out of his throat, and he was okay, thank God. Now this is where my neighbour comes in. It came up in a casual conversation that she used to live next door to the apartment I do, and we began talking about different things like the carpet, the cabinets, the wall colour, things of this nature... When out of the blue, she asked, Have you met George yet? When I asked who that was, she told me that when the apartments were first built, you could buy them instead of just renting them. A man named George bought the one we both lived in. He was an older gentleman, retired and had no family, but everyone in the apartment complex loved him. He was always kind to the neighbourhood kids and helped out if people asked. When she had first moved in, she lived next to George and said he was her favourite neighbour until the early 90s when he passed away, then mentioned he had lived in the exact unit my family lives in now. I then told her about my kids speaking to a George and the story about my son. She told me, yeah, that sounds like him. I still occasionally experience small things, catching a whiff of cologne, appliances turning on and off, seeing things moving out of the corner of my eye And my kids do occasionally mention George in passing, but nothing like what happened that night. I was seven years old, and I had the ability back then to astral project. I could lie in bed and somewhat meditate and feel myself lifting out of my body. My head would feel light at first, and then I would get the sensation of falling backwards, but in a complete circle, like a ferris wheel. I could strangely also feel connected to my body, like I was tethered, and it felt somewhat elastic until I popped clear of the body and was floating in my room. The first time I dared to leave my room, I flew into the window and instinctively held my arms out in fear of hitting the glass, and was sent straight back into my body. But I had got better, and in time was able to leave and fly around the next-door neighbour's garden and watch my friends playing on the swing. It wasn't always the case that I needed to prepare to fly. Sometimes I would be asleep, and in my dream, get the feeling of light-headedness, and the little whistle in my ears so I would be aware and pretend in my head that I was about to leave my body, even though I had been asleep, and now I was awake, but floating out of my body. So this was kind of like a crossover event between dream state and astral projection. My uncle had recently died, and my mother asked me that if I should ever see him in the afterlife, that I could ask him three questions. I do not remember them now, but back then I did. So a few weeks passed, and I had been asleep, and I got the sensation of leaving my body. So I woke up into my astral self, and I could see a tunnel above me. It was bright and colourful, and I knew that was where I wanted to go, so I made the choice to head into it and explore. I didn't know where this would take me, as I had never heard of tunnels to heaven before. The tunnel had lots of wonderful colours as I passed through it, and if you pin me to a time of how long I was in it, I would say perhaps a minute or so. It was a fast but serene passage, and as we neared the end, I could see a very bright white light. As I got near to the end, it got bigger, and I could tell this was an exit, and I duly popped out the other end. But now I was not flying. I was standing on white and fluffy clouds. Off in the distance in front of me, a few hundred metres away, was a very large building, that appeared to have no end on the width. It was tall, maybe a hundred feet high, and there was an archway in the center. The building was all white too. In fact, everything was white. I knew I wanted to go to the archway, and it seemed like I was instantly there, although I somewhat remember gliding very fast there. It's like I thought I should go there, and as I'm thinking it, I am moving and being there without expending any energy at all. So I am under the archway, and I can go left or right. I look each way, and there are people lying on the floor with blankets over them, white blankets right up to their necks. I felt the urge to go right, and as I floated right, I am floating along the centre passage. There are people all around me, and after a few seconds, I know I needed to look left and stop, so I did. There was my Uncle Clifton. He had died in a car crash some weeks before. To be honest, I never really gelled with him. I was a little scared of him in truth, but I had a job to do, a mission of sorts, and I knew I needed to ask him some questions. He told me that this was a place to heal before you went on, like a recovery section after you had been in a traumatic accident as he had been. I still don't get that though, as maybe the body was broken, but the spirit, maybe someone could answer this for me. Anyway, the questions were asked and he responded. "'I remember his answers. "'As soon as he finished the final word of his last answer, "'I felt like something had grabbed both of my ankles. "'I was floating on clouds. "'Clearly there was no solid ground, "'and I got pulled through the clouds at an incredibly fast speed. "'Now, every time I returned to my body, "'I always had the speed rush back, "'but this was different, faster than anything that went before or after.' I was going so fast that the noise of the wind passing my ears deafened me. All I could hear was the noise of a hurricane times ten. I felt my stomach go into my mouth. Imagine being on a roller coaster and multiplying that effect by one hundred. I couldn't breathe and I couldn't open my eyes. In fact, I was closing them so tight because I knew if I opened them, my eyes could pop out. The only thing I wanted right there and then was for this to stop. I was over it, done. I couldn't cope. The descent lasted maybe 10 seconds or so, but it was the most harrowing return to body experience I ever had. I remember feeling a hard push on my back, and I opened my eyes immediately as I heard a crack and a crunch, only to realise I am now two feet off the bed and wrapped in blankets and now starting to fall back towards the mattress. I knew at that moment the force and speed of my return to body had been so impactful that I had literally smashed into the body and bounced upwards, then fell back. I can still remember everything so clearly. I pulled the covers back and ran as fast as I could to my mum and dad's room where I woke them up for the first time. I had never dared enter their room before at night. I woke my mum and told her the answer to the question she had asked me to ask him. She started to cry and hugged me tightly. I stayed in the room for another half an hour or so and told them what had happened. My bed had broken. The slats that went across the bed, the middle five, had all snapped. What is hard to believe is that they never repaired them. We were very poor and, well, my old man liked to drink or three and my mum was having a tough time coping with her brother's death. So we just moved on. The bed stayed broken until I got a new one some seven years later. In that time, I had slept in a bed with a divet in it, which has probably been the reason why I have some back problems now. Imagine being hunched up for years when you're growing up. Don't get me wrong, I'm not disabled, but I do have issues, going back as far as when I was 21, so maybe this was linked. I continued to be able to astral project until my mid-teens, and although I have come close to leaving my body since, I have not been able to, The final release always lets me down. I guess I'm overthinking it. I get too excited saying, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, and and then as I think I shouldn't think that, it scrambles my thoughts and I lose the moment. Maybe one day I will be able to do it again. I had a ton of happy times floating around my neighbourhood. And yes, I believe I went to what we would call heaven, or at least something in the afterlife.
2: I served in the Marines from 2014 to 2016 and did one tour of Afghanistan. My best friend and I, Lance Corporal Sean Trevers, were stationed together in Camp Dwyer for a short time to help with standard survey and watch. One day we went on a routine convoy to deliver supplies to a unit about 30 kilometers out. We came across a building while a sandstorm was developing towards the west. We were ordered to seek shelter until the storm passed. Now when I say building, I mean this thing was a building that looked incredibly out of place. We were essentially in what I would call a small valley, and the nearest village was about three to four miles away. After about ten minutes, we scanned the building and found no civilians or combatants. Two marines were outside, standing near the wall that was in front of a building, and two were on the roof while the rest of us ate some chow, and we were just shooting the shit on the second floor. There were four floors, by the way. All of a sudden, when we heard shots fired and the same over the radio, we scrambled to get our gear. I went to the window, which was next to a door leading to a balcony of sorts. After what seems like hours, we finally stopped hearing fire and received the cease order. We were told to check our ammo and for any wounded and to check the eliminated targets. I went to go and look for Sean as I couldn't reach him on the radio I looked through the entire building, and I couldn't find him anywhere. I went to my squad leader and was told he last saw him on the corner wall near the left of the building. I'm sorry to say that I did find my best friend, but he had been shot in the neck. I called for a corpsman, but was unable to stop the bleeding. I did everything I could to keep him alive. I applied pressure, and I tried to keep him conscious, but unfortunately... I had to hold my nearest and dearest friend in my arms as he took his last breaths on this earth. I held him for as long as I could before the corpsman finally told me he was really gone, and I watched over his body until we got back to base. Now that the sad part is told, I can tell you the paranormal part. It's been six years since my friend and fellow brother passed, and ever since I left country and left the Marines... I've seen him in my dreams, and while I've even been awake. I feel like I'm crazy, and also I wonder if it's my PTSD causing me to hallucinate. But I see him in a bad way. Sometimes I see him in dress blues, or in Charlie's. Sometimes I see him in his Texas radio best, complete with cowboy boots and hat to match all the wild dip in Copenhagen straight, or while in full combat gear with his M16. But regardless of how or when I see him. I also hear him, like one day I was sitting in the kitchen eating dinner with my wife, who was about six months pregnant, and I heard clear as day the word, Hi, as if someone were inches away from my right ear whispering it. I recently saw him at the grocery store of all places. He stood there and gave me half a salute, walked away, and faded. I don't know maybe he's some sort of guardian angel always watching over me but I'll never know
0: Good evening, my kitties. And have I got an announcement for you. Yes, you beautiful, loyal listeners now have the opportunity to become Deadly Debbie Patreons. You can now sign up to receive extra weekly bite-sized episodes, one-shot stories, and have access to early episodes before anyone else can hear them. If that's not enough... You can be entered into prize giveaways, get exclusive Patreon only discounts on merch from the Deadly Debbie store, get personal shout outs on the show, and much more. So just go to the link in the show notes and on all social media so that you can join me, Deadly Debbie, in my home of creepy files. See you there! <laughs> It's hard for me to talk about this because it's only been a year since it stopped. It started in 2014 and it happened in my home country of Sweden when I went to an art school for a summer course as a form of daily activity. The people at this art school were some of the worst people I have ever met and that included me because I was kind of thrash back then too. I was 21 years old and had little experience of the real world. I had gone two extra years of school because of switching majors and taking an extra year on my second course, so I was literally on my first year of independence. I also have a light form of autism and didn't receive schooling until I was 12, which made me a bit more slowly developed mentally during high school. I'm all caught up now. Basically, I was a 21-year-old with very little experience in life. The people I met at the art school were not, let's say, the highest of achievers. They were some of the meanest and most terrible people I have ever met. They treated each other, and me, awfully, as well as the teachers. But I could be bad too. In fact, I feel like being around those people also made me worse. What started the stalking was an incident involving acrylic paint, It was going to be thrown away, so some of us took some of the paint so it wouldn't go to waste. And I finally took the remaining paint. Well, that's how she showed up. Her name was Anna, and this is how she introduced herself. My art teacher was pushing these big tables on a trolley through the narrow passageway of the art hall, and Anna, dressed in expensive designer clothes, stood in her way. So my art teacher, not fearing anything, screams, Move it! Anna snaps towards her with this crazy look in her eyes and shouts, "'Excuse me, do you know who I am? I'm a famous woman.'" My art teacher, not impressed, responds with, "'Okay, famous woman, move it.'" That was how we learned of Anna, the famous artist. She then proceeded to have all the terrible people of my class schmooze over her and treat her like a celebrity. But her real reason for being there was because of her paint. So the great hunt began. I was roped into it and my initial plan was to just give back her paint so she could be off. Except during the hunt, I got these terrifying red flags. She kept sniffing the paint of other people to see if they were hers. Apparently she had poured some kind of oil into the paint so she could sniff her way to where they were. During the hunt, she admitted that she had been put into treatment for the criminally insane because she had stalked a previous schoolmate that she thought had stolen paint from her. She even showed a CCTV video of her old schoolmate pulling a suitcase behind her, saying that's where she had the paint that she stole. I asked her how she got the video, and she said that her dad had connections with the local government, which had gotten the video from one of the local government cameras, which is illegal for a layman to get access to. During this time, she even showed me the court document which her dad had saved as a PDF on her phone. During this time, she also admitted that she had been sending messages to a famous artist in the city because a voice from heaven told her to do it, and that he was destined to help her with her career. Anna also thought that staring wide-eyed made her more attractive, like the kind of stare where you can't see any of the eyelids at all. So while she was saying all this... She had this crazy eyed look on her face. I was terrified of her, and I couldn't figure out a way of handing back the paint, so she ended up threatening to have the principal fired if she couldn't search every room for the paint. And when she did find all her paint, she put it in one of the schoolrooms and said that she would pick it up when she wanted to. She said that she would come every year during the art exhibit to check if her paint was still there, and that she would sue the school if she found it missing a crazy person, right? End of story. I wish. About 2 years later, I enrolled in a 1-year basic art program at the school. I had completely forgotten about this crazy person. At one point, we were cleaning out the art rooms and her paint was brought up again, and it again would be thrown away. Me not remembering that crazy famous artist took a nice crimson bottle for myself, while others took some of the not ruined color for themselves opened acrylics go bad after a while. Then, as we all tried to continue with our lives, the crazy lady one day returned and started sniffing all of the colours. I didn't recognise her at all. I had forgotten how dangerously deranged she was. I had even forgotten that I had gotten the crimson colour from her paint, so when she started interrogating me for why the paint smelt like hers, I didn't know what to say. She also smelled her paint at some other girl's table and was harassing her as well. Thinking that this was all more fuss than it was worth, I threw away the crimson paint. It had started to cut from age anyway. And that is when everything went to hell and crazy-eyed Anna became my stalker. When she found out I had thrown away the paint, she became convinced that I had re-enrolled at the art school specifically to steal her paint. She started convincing a bunch of gullible, and to be honest, low-achieving people, that this was true, and I started being harassed. It started with a physical attack. I was painting alone in the evening, minding my own business, when this huge brute ran into me, tackled me to the ground, and hit and kicked me. While this was happening, crazy-eyed Anna was fake crying in the corner, but I could see from the floor how she went from fake crying into gleefully smiling as I was being kicked and hit. Another girl she had recruited picked up and smashed my phone, breaking it. As the guy stormed off and the second girl followed, I stumbled onto my feet and asked Anna why she had done this, and the answer she gave me made me realize what kind of person she was. So you know that I can hurt you if I want? That is the answer she gave me. I later asked the brute why he had attacked me, and he said that he hated people who stole. This guy is now training to become an art teacher. I really fear for those children. I had bruised my ribs, but was not allowed to go to the hospital because the principal didn't want to get involved, and since my phone was broken, I couldn't call for an ambulance, so it took so long to get to the hospital that the outside signs of the abuse had healed. During this time, crazy-eyed Anna started wearing a crimson jacket wherever she went. I asked her why she was wearing it, and she said she looked pretty, thinking that talking nicely to her would start a friendly conversation to maybe smooth things over. Well, Anna is not like normal people, and she does not think like normal people. Her response was that she wanted me to think of her every time I saw this colour, and said that she had seen it work in a movie, and then added, "'I am more beautiful than you will ever be.'" Wherever she went, she had a horde of schmoozers around her, all thinking she was some kind of famous and fancy artist but eventually she had to leave the school and I thought I had peace. Except one day she suddenly showed up and gleefully presented me with the school's Russian exchange student. This student had been sitting at my table every day for weeks and I hadn't paid them any mind because why would I? She was allowed to sit there. But this is when crazy-eyed Anna drops the bombshell that this exchange student was A, not a real exchange student and B, she had been putting her phone on the table each mealtime while having it on speaker with Anna on the other end, silently listening in on my conversations. I remember when she first told me this, how I didn't believe it, and a part of me still had a hard time realising the lengths this woman was going to were real. But it was what she said next that terrified me the most. She said, I know about the secret messages behind your words. I know what you are up to and I heard a voice from above that told me that it was my mission in life to keep an eye on you and to make sure you behave. The abuse at school escalated quickly after this. I was harassed and cornered in every classroom and chased around school, and at the same time I got no help. It escalated into an incident that happened one late weekend night. I was sitting in the school's texture room when a guy suddenly burst in and started running towards me, screaming, What makes you think you can sit here? He did not go to this school. I jumped out of a window and started running towards my dorm and managed to call 112 in the meantime, the emergency number for Sweden. I managed to scream out that I needed help and where I was. I ran towards my dorm, but another guy was waiting for me there, so I ran towards the head building, but a third guy was waiting there. They cornered me, and I remember how scared I was. I thought I was going to die. But then, a light of hope, blue and red lights from the road, I was saved. I remember how happy I was to see that police officer. Everything would finally be over. And then, he walked right up to the girl who orchestrated all of it. And he greeted her, like a friend. And I knew, I knew in that moment that he wouldn't save me. I screamed for help and he ignored me. She then told him there was no issue here. He said he was looking forward to seeing her around town. Then he left. He left me and just drove away. The last thing I remember is the backlights of that police car driving into the distance. I wake up the next morning, laying on the ground with a huge bump on the side of my head. I don't know what happened. Mailin, the fake exchange student, claims they never touched me and I just passed out when one of the guys grabbed me. I know better. I know the pain I felt and the huge bump on the side of my head. I called 112 and called for an ambulance. At this time, because of the abuse, I had memory loss and I couldn't quite tell the lady what the issue was, but I made a mistake. I told her that I had called 112 the day after and that a police officer just left me. And she got mad. Really, really mad. She told me that I was slandering her co-worker and to only call if I actually needed help, and then she hung up. I was alone again, with no one, not a single person on my side. I tried to make a police report against Anna and Malin, but the officer had heard about me and deleted my report. It was during this time that I'd had enough and thought about ending my own life, so I was forcefully put in a mental health ward, but the stalking didn't stop. Crazy-Eyed Anna had a friend of hers be committed so she could come into the ward as a visitor in order to harass me. When I tried to go to art school again, she had people she had threatened join the same programme so they could keep an eye on me. At home, she would have another guy she had threatened to park outside my house a few times a week in order to scare me. During this, she would also have things stolen from me, things like shoes, gloves and the like, and according to the people doing the stealing, This was because she had watched a movie where someone steals items and then puts them back to make someone go insane from the harassment. Crazy-eyed Anna would call me a few times a year lying about being a data collector to get private information out of me, something that took a few years to even catch on to. Because she lived in a big city far away at the time, she constantly forced others to do the stalking for her. Most of them at one point she had given drugs to, and then she would get them to do what she wanted by threatening to report them to the police if they wouldn't. Others she just bribed with money or charms. I have gone for hour-long bus rides where someone admits to being there for her sake. Most people are afraid of her because she won't leave them alone, and she will do to them what she does to me if they don't say yes to her. One girl was roped into standing all dressed in red outside my supermarket. Another girl was also roped into sitting in her car outside my house for hours a few days a week, all because of the fear of this woman. I learned from a cousin of hers that she affords all this because she won an art prize for half a million sec at one point. It's why she thinks she's famous. I also learned that most of her biological family had cut contact with her because she had been doing this since she was a teenager. And yet, even with that information, no one would listen. When I tell people what she had done to me, people call me the crazy one. I have no history of delusions or making up tales. It was so much easier for people to just think I'm crazy. I have even been forcibly medicated at some points, with psychosis medication that baffled doctors over not working. Not even my family believes me, something that has forever barred how much trust I can put into the relationship between us. I asked her once why she was doing all of this, and she said, to punish you. I asked her for how long I would need to be punished and she answered for as long as I want. At one point I even considered killing her. I'm the kind of person who catches flies alive in a cup and lets them out the window. I have never harmed another human being. I have never been violent. Yet at one point I felt so desperate for freedom that I would take prison rather than being haunted by crazy-eyed Anna anymore. I was more afraid of her than of prison. Then it stopped. It just stopped. Still a year later, I don't know why it stopped. Nothing in her history tells me she would stop willingly. So I am convinced that either she has run out of people to threaten into doing her bidding or something has happened to her. It's possible that one of those people finally reported her and I actually got taken seriously. I don't know. Even so, I can't feel relief. Not yet. I'm still afraid it will start again. And I have given up all hope of ever being taken seriously by the police. I hope you enjoyed this episode's scary stories. Remember to please leave an Apple review and you can send in any true life stories you have to let me tell you a scary story at gmail.com. See you next week.